have a new intro because somebody commented that of the few people that I've heard it, they're like, you know, you never, you guys never actually say who you are. I was like, oh, that's true. So, uh, you, you know, know, you'll know who we are. Turns turns out people's feedback sometimes is right. Yeah, rarely. Welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel, the podcast where we put Gabriel back into the pop culture gun to see if this time he fires off and keeps up with uh, with what went on in, in pop culture while he was being homeschooled and sheltered from the rest of the world. The uh, year is 2002. The most popular baby names are Jacob, Michael, Matthew, Joshua, Emily, Hannah, Madison, and Emma. Internet browser is the most popular web popular web browser. <laughs> yeah, the to- <laughs> the Toyota Camry is the best selling car. And isn't it always though? It, actually, you know what? I I had a Camry, so yeah. <laughs> I feel like camera, Camry, they compete with themselves. It's like Corolla has been more recently, I think, the best-selling car. I feel like for some reason Chrysler sounds like a car that gets a lot of awards. But anyway, I may even think of something else. Walmart is the largest corporation in America in 2002. So just to recap, Gabe, where are you in 2002? Let's see here. 2002, we have fairly recently relocated uh, to a little town in the mountains, San Bernardino Mountains. And I am just into high school, um, grade-wise. And, you know, with the move came came some upgrades. We, got, we ended up getting satellite television, which opened up uh, a whole world of pop culture to me late at night. And uh, uh, that sweet, sweet dial-up internet access, which also was more available at night than during the day. So we're finally getting to the point there in, in 2002 where I've got a little bit more autonomy and, and I'm a little more caught up. And uh, 2002 for me, uh, as we mentioned, right, I'm stationed in Camp Margarita, Camp Pendleton. We are prepping uh, for our inevitable uh, Iraq invasion and... Um, that's pretty much my life. Uh, on the weekends, I, if if I have the weekend off, I go home or I or I uh, hang out with my buddies, but um, not a lot of weekends off. Uh, you know, we're just waiting for, for the word, as they say, and and uh, it eventually does come. Uh, movies. Let's start with movies in two thousand two. So this one has a, a couple a couple that we hadn't mentioned before. So this one I mentioned just because I'm a big fan of Daniel Day Lewis, but Gangs of New York. Did you see that then or have you seen it since? I haven't seen it in either sense. And it's on my list because I know it's that good. I know he's that good because I've seen There Will Be Blood. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's my big, that's my big, whenever I see Daniel Day-Lewis in something, that's what I think of because that's the performance that sticks. Um, And uh, yeah, no, he's, uh, that movie's on my list. It got a a whole like slew of awards, didn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was cleaned up. It was a great, it was a great movie, and his performance is ridiculous. Um, We also had a movie come out that kind of created somebody's career, and that's The Transporter. Did you? I did see that. You did. Now, did you see it in 2002, 2003, or did you you eventually watch it? 
I don't think I saw it in the theater. So I, I still think I saw it real recently from when it came out. It might have been just a little bit later, but I saw it within. So maybe by maybe 2004 at like the latest, I would have seen it. But I, I kept up with that. Like I knew about Jason Statham. And I, man, that was what launched his career, huh? So I would say that before that, he had done the Guy Ritchie movies, right? He did. He did Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. He had a, a side uh, side starring role in that. Snatch, I think, is where I got the attention from him, where I was like, oh, mm-hmm. man, like he, he played a lead and you had an, a ridiculous cast, dude, like um, oh, yeah. Brad Pitt, everybody. After that, I think and because of the success of that or the cult following of that is where you get the Transporter trilogy. Um, so it kind of starts in 2002 and then they make three uh, by 2008. But for me, anyway, Snatch brought him to the world, but I think Transporter is what, well, you know, transported him into that into that stardom. You know, uh, Snatch was the movie that, that really got me on board with Brad Pitt. Really? Honestly, yeah. Because, like, I mean, obviously, growing up through the 90s, Brad Pitt, you know, in the movies a lot, a lot. And I always, I, I don't know why, I had no reason to. I guess just because he was popular, I always kind of was just like, yeah, yeah, he's a pretty boy. It's great, you know. Brad Pitt, great. And uh, I never gave him a real much acting credit. And then I saw him in that. And I was like, holy shit, this guy can, uh, he can act. That's the one that got me. And then I've been a fan ever since. So I think for me, it was, he had done a few things, right? I, like, I, I remember he got a lot of uh, claim for A River Runs Through It. And I was never, eh, I was like, okay, on that. I remember Cool World, right? Because of the whole animation and real life. And it was like a more, a better version of, uh, of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then like I think I think the next big one he had was like uh, Interview with a Vampire, right? And then I started paying attention to him after Seven came out, and then Twelve Monkeys, and then I think Fight Club was the biggie, dude. I think him and yeah. Fight Club. After that, I was paying attention to everything he did. I mean, he, I, uh, I was he was not just a pretty boy anymore. And then in Snatch, where he just transforms himself. I, He's actually pretty solid, but yeah, that's an interesting, uh, interesting movie to have set you off. Yeah, and then Statham did uh, the movie that I first remember him in. I think anyway, if I left the misremember, the Jet Li movie, the one. Was it War or the one? The one is. Uh, I think the one came out first. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. And uh, when did that one come out? Let's see, two thousand. Let's see, two thousand one. And I think I saw that one pretty quick because uh, I had uh, fr- uh, my best friend at the time introduced me to, uh, to like uh, martial arts movies like Jackie Chan. Like we watched a lot of Jackie Chan movies oh, and right. Jet Li. The funny thing about the one was Jason Statham. He like trained to fight like Jet Li. Like he was already for that. And like for some reason, script changes things. He, he never got to do it. Oh. <laughs> they never really squared <laughs> off. Like, and, and you think, oh, OK, but he's actually like proficient. Like you see him in other movies and you're like, yeah. oh, I, the guy can. Did you hear about that? You're like, yeah, but are you really at Jet Li level of competition? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. 2002 also launched another uh, career based on a movie of the success of the movie. Uh, Van Wilder came out in 2002. Oh, boy. Did you watch Definitely. that in 2002 or at, after the cult following years later? 
No, let me tell you when I saw it. I saw it in 2006, and I know that because I saw it while I was attending community college before uh, my enlistment. Oh, while right. I was in delayed entry. We, we talked about uh, Ryan in one of the previous episodes, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. It was and, that, uh, that the was, birthday that was celebration, the best right? Of school. Yeah, the teacher, who was an interesting lady to say that she lived on a ranch with like animals, and uh, she had horses and, and goats and chickens and things like that. And she slept with a gun under her pillow and said that her neighbors would occasionally fire off random shots in her direction because they didn't like her, which, you know, I take everything with a grain of salt. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, but how, though? But, you know, the longer I've lived, the more I've realized that, like, just because something like that shouldn't happen doesn't mean it actually doesn't. So she might have been telling God's honest truth the whole time. Um, it was Yucaipa, California she lived in, so... I mean, it's a there's a lot of farm area in that and yeah it's a lot of space people's properties are pretty big yeah she uh she was very interesting an english teacher mm. of all things and uh in that class one time she was like you know what there's several birthdays this month we're just gonna party so one day we didn't do any actual schoolwork. we just like ate cake and sweets and and soda and and watched two movies and the only one i'm the only one i remember of the two was van wilder so clearly it made the impression yeah, no, that movie. So I had seen, I had seen, uh, I had seen Ryan Reynolds in in like two movies prior to that, in the TV show that he had, the um, two guys that grow in a pizza place that eventually just became two guys a girl, and then he had had a movie called The Alarmist where he played the son of somebody, but he he had a very small role in it, but I remember he stood out, and then I remember watching Van Wilder. And then, honestly, I was watching Van Wilder because we were watching it on base. I mean, that was, you know, that was a, that was a movie that was constantly playing in the barracks, constantly playing. And He's then, right. And then when I got out, um, my buddy Ray, we used to work loss prevention. And I kid you not, we used to watch that movie once a month. On our, if, if our days off match, dude, he would come over to my apartment. We would put a bucket of beer between us and we had these two recliners and we would watch like the same four fucking movies, dude, every single time about once a month. And it was it was always Van Wilder and it was always Super Troopers. It was always Ron Burgundy, Anchorman. And then the fourth one would vary. But those three movies, honestly, dude, we watched them probably once a month for a good year. It's insane. But uh, if Ray's listening, I miss you, my friend. He's alive. I just miss him. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair also fair and then uh real quick i want to talk about this movie which i don't i'm, I'm going to put money on that you haven't seen but it's one of those I, I feel it's a cult classic and it's something maybe that'll go on your list it's a movie called bubba hotep bubba hotep and it stars go ahead no that sounds super familiar i definitely haven't seen it but like why why do i recognize that go on so it stars bruce campbell and it's a it's a comedy horror film in that style it's an indie film it's Bruce Campbell. Yeah, and what it's about? <laughs> no, it's it's it is it is such an amazing idea, right? Uh, I know it was based on a novel or a short story, but basically, uh, Bruce Campbell stars as Elvis, uh, who is a resident in a nursing home. So it's in a nursing home, and this guy keeps telling people he's Elvis, and people are like, right, right, right. And then he has a, a another person who lives in that uh, nursery, uh, nursing home, not nursery. Um, <laughs> who thinks he's a black guy who thinks he's John F. Kennedy explaining that he survived the assassination and basically in order to keep him alive, they dyed his skin black and forgot about him. 
he keeps telling people he's John F. Kennedy. So Bruce Campbell's story is that Elvis wanted to take some time off because he was overworked with everything that was going on, and they found the doppelganger, somebody who could who who was doing Elvis impersonation so good that he could have fooled anybody. So he decided to like switch it up and take some time off, except he was never able to get back to being the real Elvis because the impersonator took over as him. And he lived the rest of his life as, you know, the other Elvis and into this nursing home. So these two guys meet. One thinks he's Elvis Presley. One thinks he's John F. Kennedy. And they find out that some of the residents from the from the nursing home are dying because there's a a mummy that's sucking the life out of these old people in their deathbeds and keeping itself alive because no one's missing these people because that's where they're supposed to be dying anyway. So the right. whole the whole story is about these two guys who are out to kill this mummy that's killing these old people in this nursery home, who are nominally Elvis Presley yes. and John F. Kennedy, and that's Perfect. and because Elvis used to basically say Bubba a lot, Bubba Hotep, kind of like the. It's a, I get it. Oh, it was a brilliant fucking movie. So that one. That sounds good. Oh, so good. I I have I still watch that movie. It's so good. So yeah, TV shows. TV shows that ended that year. Now, one you're going to know, one I'm actually curious about. So the X-Files ended that year. Were you or have you become a fan of the X-Files after that? No, never got into it. Um, I'm sure at, at, at years prior, I was I was would have been deemed too young. That would have been, a, you know, too scarier. I, I've never seen it. So I think it's, it's more campy from what I understand than, than really actually supposed to be scary. But um, it can be. Yeah. Never got into it. Never got into it, but was was aware of it. Yeah, knew about the X Files. So yeah, that ended in two thousand two after I think a twelve year run or a ten year run, and they they got two movies out of it. That was one of those shows. I, I watched something about it recently, some trivia stuff, or it came up on a trivia YouTube video mm-hmm. of like co stars who like actually hated each other. Wait, don't tell me Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny hated each other. I think at, in the later years, they, it's just been too much. You know, they spent so much time working. Like, it didn't start that way. And they and, and afterwards, they were able to, like, be. But, like, it, it became one of those things where, like, you just didn't want to keep doing the same thing together. And they got on each other's nerves. Well, because he, le- he left the show towards the end. And he was replaced by another agent. And, and uh, Jillian Anderson stayed. And the movies that they made were were after the show ended, so I'm uh, so I guess maybe they reconciled their relationship afterwards. I, I that was my understanding. Like it wasn't as bad as some um, some of the stuff they were giving as examples of people who didn't. But I I think I was just like after so many years of doing that together and working together, you know, like the new the, you know the new shine kind of wore off and they they irritated each other. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, you know the famous one is um, the I Love Lucy. Right, because oh. uh, Lucy and then whoever played Ethel Mertz like didn't like each other. Wait, shut but, the hell up! But that one went in reverse. They started not liking each other, and then they ended up becoming friends. Oh, because I was gonna say. But I, when it started, they did not. They did not. I I still think that's one of the funniest comedies that has ever come out, and I think Lucille Ball is one of the greatest comedians I've ever seen. That is a show I was watching growing up too. That's that's why I can. And, and no, but that, and I was gonna say that surprised me because after I Love Lucy, they had at least two other Lucy shows, and Ethel was always in those as the neighbor, as the friend. The explanation that the most recent thing it was on the same little you know um, program I was watching did they said that um, I guess at the time like it was it, the classic thing was you the starring the starring roles 
like the the woman wouldn't have competition. She'd be the beautiful oh, young. Okay. But the the lady playing Ethel was actually younger than her and quite pretty, and so it, just, <laughs> it created this. You know, they cast somebody that was like going to be competing in a sense, and so like Lucy was irritated initially and did not want to talk to her like between stuff or whatever. But they ended up becoming friends because they're you know she was genuinely a nice person and so like that was that was a happy story to hear after oh interesting yeah yeah no i was i'm, I'm still a huge fan of that show the other show i would i wanted to ask you about it which again it, it's a it's a i'm just cur- uh, curious there was a show called vip have you heard of this show Mm-mm. okay so at the height of um pamela anderson's fame she was actually able to get her own tv show called vip where she played a private investigator with a group of people that would have these adventures every week where they would solve crimes and, you know, do that thing. And it was on for four years and it ended in 2002. Exactly. That's the most surprising part of that is that four years. I can only assume VIP stands for very important Pamela. Oh, I wish it does. You know, we're going to say it does. We're going <laughs> to say it does. But yeah, but I, 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 the reason why I bring it up is because this was a time when something like that could happen you know like she had the barbed wire movie there was a time when when pre internet where she was like you know pretty well known for that sex tape she was also yeah. on baywatch and she could also ride that train into this tv show again where she i mean it, again the show made no fucking sense but for years i watched it i remember watching quite a few episodes for obvious reasons yeah um, yeah but it ended Acting in jobs. it ended in 2002, and I think it was the end of a lot of things that could happen. I, I don't think I don't think something like that could happen now. I'm definitely 100 no. percent sure that. I mean, it's nobody has that, that star changes. power, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting too with the the medium, right? Like, like because it, it, in some ways too, like obviously people can get traction because of the internet that don't have that kind of star power, and that almost takes up the bandwidth you'd get from, you know, like people may perhaps have to stay in their lane a bit more. It's more surprising when they jump like that you know like she'd either have to do it through the internet now it would have to be an internet thing a kickstarter it'd have to be like fan driven or it just wouldn't like no one's gonna pick that up now there's too much other stuff going on yeah and you know what's funny i was just watching an interview with um um jimmy kimmel and he said something interesting that i hadn't thought about when i was a kid i was watching jay leno and david letterman and i would have to choose like am i watching david letterman or watching jay leno depending on who the guest was and he said, it used to be like that. He said, but now everybody just watches the show the next day anyway. So it doesn't matter who you have. He said, so we're practically like talking to each other as hosts. Like, oh, well, if you've got Jennifer Aniston this week first, we'll take so-and-so next week first and you can have them second. Because he's like, at the end of the day, people are going to end up watching them both. It's just about who they're going to watch. Uh, but everybody's consuming everything online. So he said, so... It's 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 friendlier now than it used to be because back then you used to have to fight for that rating. Now, like you said, there's so much of it that it you know like there's they're established shows and they can pull that off. But you're right, it, you know it would be like it would be like somebody new trying to start a TV show based on a sex tape or 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 some sort of a, um, viral video or some sort of phenomenon that you know that that made him insta famous. And it's going to be most of us are going to be like, yeah, no, this is uh, this is not going to work. But when you're fighting for ratings, 1998, Pamela Anderson leading a TV show will get you views, you know, your name recognition. Yeah, it's interesting how, how like that, all that's changed. Right. 
Yeah. Going on, continuing with TV shows, TV shows that started uh, in 2002. And th this one I bring up just because of, again, old-timey television for you. But The Twilight Zone came back in 2002 for its second revival. It only lasted one season because, you know. I, I, look, the reason why I bring this up to is because I was a huge fan of the original Twilight Zone. I thought that show, the writing on that show and the acting on that show was so good where... One of my favorite episodes was like a Robert Redford episode where it's him and a little old lady in a basement apartment. That's the entire episode, just the two of them. And it's this lady who thinks that if she leaves her apartment, she's going to die. And Robert Redford uh, is a character who gets hurt outside of her apartment and needs help. And she uh, begrudgingly brings him inside to her apartment. But slowly, as the conversation continues, you realize she left death into her home. But it's Robert Redford and, he, and he's kind and he's nice and he's warm. And she's like, I thought death was going to be scary, but it's Robert Redford. <laughs> so she at the end of the episode, she he walks her outside and it's like, you know, uh, it, brilliant, dude. Like the episode where this one guy, he's a bank teller and he loves reading books, uh, you know, at work. They don't let him read at home. His wife you know, just nags him about wanting to read all the time. And one day on his lunch break, he locks himself in the in the bank vault to read an atomic attack. The on apocalypse. The one. Yes, the apocalypse is, happens. Is it the one where he breaks his glasses? Yes. He, oh, my God. He that, just, that upsets me. That's so frustrating. He comes out, dude, and everything's available. He finally, the library time. didn't burn down. He had all the time in the world. He grabs a, a handful of books that he wants to read. He sits down on the steps and his glasses fall off and they break. And he had like Coke bottle glasses. Yeah, 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 so yeah. he needed them. And you're all like, oh, irony. <laughs> yeah, that, that one hurts. No, so over the years, I definitely had seen some of them. Um, the one that I remember vividly was the, uh, the plastic surgery one. Oh, where everybody's uh, ugly, and then this person yeah. looks like a human. Oh, yeah, that was a brilliant. We need one. to make her. We need to make her normal. That was a brilliant episode. What dude. a metaphor for our times nowadays, too. You know, man, with all these opinions, everyone having this thing, and the masses like make them normal. It's like, but wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know. Oh, wow, this is a great uh, connection to Pamela Anderson. Did you ever watch her on SNL and her skit on that one? No. So. Imagine that episode, right? Everybody's okay. everybody has that pig face, right? And <laughs> and uh, that's how the skit starts, right? Uh, the sketch starts. They're all around her and they're taking the gauzes off, and it's her face. And she looks in the mirror and she goes, "Oh my god!" And like, uh, you know, she's like, "I'm hideous. Can you guys fix me?" And the do the male doctors are all like, "Oh my god, she's hot." <laughs> 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 and all the female doctors are like, no, she's hideous. And, all. and, she, and it, it's like, so everybody's like fawning over like this oh, gorgeous woman while they all look, you know, a certain way. So it's funny that you brought Hilarious. that up because they did that episode with her. Oh, and, man. and everybody finds her attractive and nobody wants to change her back. <laughs> That's great. That's a great uh, 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 misdirect on that. Oh, man, that was fantastic. Yeah. I feel like, honestly, too, like, it, it, this this will fit you know, this will make sense to you so like we used to listen to i guess it wasn't on the radio i thought it might have been i checked real quick it wasn't until more recently i feel like there had to be another show similar that was on radio because like we used to listen to old-timey like radio dramas too sometimes Jesus like the local Christ, Gabe, in the, the local, 90s so knx 1070 news radio at i think it was 9 p.m is either 9 or 10 p.m 
would play in different days of the week. They do they do Dragnet. Um, they do Half Gun Will Travel. The radio dramas. Um, you're, you're talking about serials, right? That's what they were called, huh? Yeah. Serial dramas. And uh, we used to listen to those. And I thought there was like a Twilight Zone thing. But I guess I, I checked real quick and I don't think so, so. There was something similar. There must have been. Just to make sure I understand. As a teenager, for entertainment. And younger than younger that. Than for yeah. entertainment, you used to sit around the old radio and listen okay, to so, stories. <laughs> so not sit around the radio so much. This was sort of a, a thing of opportunity, right? Like we, we did a lot of weird things at weird hours because of homeschooling. We'd be tr driving or on the road or doing something, you know, or whatever. And uh, if we happened to be in the car at a, at a given hour that was late like that, that that's what my mom would put on the radio because she knew it was on. It, it was interesting. It was entertaining. Like we'd listen to something about, you know cowboys or it'd be police or you know whatever because it was dragnet have them will travel uh the lone ranger jesus christ yeah that's insane that's that's just <laughs> i still remember the radio station so no no that no, and that's funny <laughs> so for me it's funny because like for me uh i was a i was a truck driver for a number of years and uh npr is all over the country right yeah, and Sundays was the best day for me to listen to NPR when I wasn't listening to my to my uh, uh, iPod. Uh, specifically, selected shorts, is, is, and I still listen to them now as a podcast. But back then, at seven PM anywhere in the country, it was about an hour to two hour show. I think sometimes it was longer, and it was just celebrities or certain people reading uh, excerpts from books. And I remember I would, I, it was captivating to me. But to me, I was like, oh, this is old-timey radio. This is how they used to do it back in the day. Little did I know, five years before that, you were doing it. <laughs> uh, NPR radio stuff. Um, uh, Too political for Prairie, your mother, right? <laughs> Prairie Home Companion. Oh, yes. Wait, did you also do Click and Clack, the two mechanics? So I think I got into that later because okay. we – the the only time I can remember us all listening, I used to have I used to have a um a little micro cassette recorder, and I think I think it was gotten um it, it was given to me to help with like school with like homework and stuff right, mm -hmm. like be able to dictate into it and write because like I hated writing as a kid, um I don't think I like it any better now to be honest but um and it was it was to help with with that for me. And of course, naturally, the first thing I did with it was just use it to record things I thought was interesting. And one of the things I recorded was snippets from some of the skits from Garrison Keillor, because this is, you know, this it was on the radio and like you couldn't you couldn't go get it on the, on the Internet right. easily. So there were some funny some funny bits. I, I probably still have those micro cassettes and everything kicking around still. But um, the more recently. As an as an adult, I've gotten back into listening to NPR on the weekend, especially when I still, you know, before 2020, when you still would drive to work. Right. A lot of times you work on either a Saturday or a Sunday commonly and, you know, start driving in depending on, you know, between seven and nine in the morning. You'd listen to stuff. And I, sure enough, at work, even I would listen to click and clack. That's when I got into them. And I'd be like, oh, let's listen to car talk. I don't know this stuff. Yeah. When I was a trucker, man, that was the that was the shit on a, on a Sunday at two or three p.m. And and, you know, uh, wait, wait, don't tell me. Uh, and love that. Yeah, it was it, Sunday was the best for for uh, NPR for me. I, I, I right because it started with fresh air. I would start with fresh air, and if I timed it right, because I would drive about eleven or twelve hours a day. If I timed it right, I got all my favorite shows like in one in one uh, in one sitting in one shift, as we called them. Yeah, um, no, that's great. Um, 
I got into like nowadays we're spoiled because like I listen to some of those like Radio Lab, which is something I heard on NPR. I like follow that podcast now thanks to the advent of modern podcasting. So yeah, I think Selected Shorts is the only thing that I, that 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 survived uh, my NPR days into now because yeah, because it's it's easier it's easier to keep up because it you don't have to keep up. There's no you know like. Uh, there's not a lot of change that happens. That's been the same format for the last God knows how long, 20 years at this point. So another show that I found interesting, and that's just because I'm Latino, but but because at the time it just it seemed like it was blowing up was the George Lopez show. I don't know if you if you ever watched it at the time or later on or if you know, like if you knew about him. Knew about it. I didn't watch it. So, yeah. So it, so for me, it was interesting because, uh, you know, you didn't see a lot of like Latino headliners on TV shows. Like I think the seventies Chico and the man, you know, with Freddie Prince senior, well, Freddie Prince, but he happens to have a son who's Freddie Prince junior, but at the time, Freddie Prince. Um, and then for me, you know, we were talking about, I love Lucy. You had uh, Desi Arnaz who was also leading a TV show in the sixties and fifties, which was again, like one in, you Way know, ahead of the curve. Yeah. So from his, comic stand-up fame which i mean was right up there with like dane cook at his at his peak you know he was able to he was able to get a tv show that was relatively good and stuck to you know like showing a a a latino uh not too stereotypical but him he had a lot of control over the show so it kind of gave you a, a a pretty good show where they weren't making fun as much as they were like pointing out the yeah. things that we all knew about ourselves yeah it's almost like like a lot of that stuff like there's like people talk about stereotyping and just as a, as a blanket negative in the terms of negative connotation but like it seems almost like there's a positive and negative like if you do that if if the person who's showcasing the stereotypes is the one in charge you know and can and can highlight some of the amusing aspects of it like then it's not harmful, you know. Well, but not only like, that, can, though. But I think it's they it's, can laugh at themselves a little. It, and that's the thing. Like, I can make fun of my people. You can't. Plain and simple. Exactly. And and then, <laughs> but that allows for other people to be able to laugh at that because to join in, yeah, yeah, because it's okay. Like I'm allowing these amount of jokes to come out. Because remember, Margaret Cho had a TV show too, uh, that she that she that she was the star of. But when you hear about her experience, it was a lot different because it was more network driven. So, you know, she needed to lose weight. She needed to, you know, maintain a certain like they had a lot more control over the creativity of the show. While it carried, a, you know, an Asian-American name, it wasn't really a show that that she was able to really push because of the fact that it was driven by the network. While George Lopez's show was driven more by him and his popularity and by his name, um, because, again, I remember I remember his stand-up specials, dude, just blew the fuck up, dude. I mean, it, he was the man. He was, and like, and, and there was plenty of Latino comedians leading up to that. Like, you know, Paul Rodriguez, I think, and Cheech and Chong, they all reached a certain level. And Cheech and Chong were able to really, like, make the connection and cross over because of, of potheads, you know, because of that. Because everybody's <laughs> everybody smokes pot. So whites, blacks, and Latinos were yeah. like, this guy's okay. Sorry. George Lopez though was very specific like he did jokes in Spanish he was talking specifically about Chicanos and and Mexicans so you kind of really had to connect but the audience was there for him it was everything just kind of came together for him to be able to blow up and for that TV show to happen 
to where we are now. It was very groundbreaking for me. Let's see. So we have uh, we have some deaths that happened. I know you're not into R&B too much, but we're still going to talk about these two. Just because at the time they were blown, they were big. Like Lisa Lopez. Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Does that name sound familiar? Mm-mm. She was one third of um, TLC. And at the height of their career, she was on vacation with her husband in, in like Central America. And she got into a car crash and passed away. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they again, like that waterfall song was enormous, you know, so they were they were up there. Uh, Jam Master J. From Run DMC. Heard of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he was assassinated. Well, I'm going to say assassinated, but because it was. An, yeah, he was assassinated. <laughs> like, because it was it was like it, I, if I recall, it was like a bullet bullet shot to the back of the head, like while he was kneeling. So it was, uh, you know, it was very deliberate. the right term. Yeah, yeah. It was executed, if you'd prefer. Execution. Execution is better. You're right. Because yeah, assassination is a little harsh. Executed. And then the name Dave Thomas. Does that ring a bell? Mm-mm. I'm surprised by this. Okay. Now, again, nobody important, but Dave Thomas was the face of Wendy's. Remember the old man? Oh, that yeah, was, I do. That was Dave Thomas. He passed away, passing on his legacy to his little freckled, uh, redheaded uh, child. So, uh, unrelated, I didn't specifically seek this out, but the YouTube algorithm must have heard us talking and it, it promoted a video for me. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. That was uh, like 30 minutes of commercials from 1996. Oh, my God. It's very specific. Yeah. All at once. And they apparently they got a bunch of different years because now I'm getting recommendations for like 92 and 94. And I'm like, all right, I like this. Like, I like the old. It's nostalgic, these old commercials. And uh, one of them was Wendy's. And it had specifically Dave Thomas walking through talking about he was he was talking about uh, some type of bun. They were promoting like. It wasn't Shabbat. Is that the modern thing? I don't know. No, I think it was like a French roll or something. Ah, They were doing their sandwiches on for some promotion, you know, and the people were like, oh man, here he comes with the French rolls again. He's like, oh, we're going to do it on French rolls. And he's he's toddling through the store. He's old then. It was 96. Oh, he passed away six years later. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I didn't know his name, but yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So he passed away. Uh, music from 2002. Uh, Alicia Keys is crowned as best new artist. Her song "Falling" that was a huge hit. Uh, I still listen to her; she's amazing. Uh, and then we'll talk about uh, things that you might have heard of. "Songs for the Deaf" comes out from Queens of the Stone Age. Were you a fan of that one? I I only have started listening to them more. I, I heard whatever was on the radio, mm-hmm. so I have heard them. But like more recently, I've I've started to expand it. So I got into them. I didn't know who they were before that, but I got into them because for that album, uh, Dave Grohl was their drummer. So he influenced uh. a lot of the sound. And that album is solid, dude, from beginning to end. Really great album. That okay. year, we also had the super group. Technically, you can call it a super group form called Audio Slave. And their first album came out. For those of you who don't know, Audio Slave is basically Rage Against the Machine minus the lead singer, but you put in... Uh, Chris Cornell from um, Temple of Dog and from, uh, well, I mean, Soundgarden. <laughs> that album was so fucking good, dude. We were, I remember being on Barracks, dude, and it was like everybody got into that album. It was so, so effing good. Um, which, wait, wait, which album did you say it was again? Audio Slave, their first one. Audio it was Slave. just their, their title album? Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Audio Slave, I'm definitely, I have, I have a lot of that. Yeah, that album. That dude, still broke through. 
I think when I was uh, when I was on base, that was still those were still kicking around. It became it was much more. So my time on base was marked by a ton of like uh, R and B and hip hop. Like that was what was in predominantly. Mm. Um, but Audio Slave sticks out as well. I remember a couple of songs. I have very distinct memories of Pendleton. Yeah. Yeah, that came out, I think, halfway through that when I was in, and I think we, we all got into it, and uh, and it just made sense. It, it kind of proved, too, like, when you have a solid sound, like, you know, I've always been a, a huge fan of Rage Against the Machine, but the fact that you can remove such a strong, like, front man, like Zach De La Rocha, and the band still can continue, and they can, they can evolve, and they can morph, and then comes Chris Cornell, who you know has an amazing voice, and the two just... Oh my god! But they made three albums together before they called it quits. Uh, but yeah, that was released in two thousand two, and then this Super is a, good. and then this one I, again. I listened to just about a little bit of everything, and this is also when Justified came out. This was Justin Timberlake's breakout uh, debut album as a, as a solo artist. Again, like I was never a fan of In Sync, never my thing. This the the song. This album came out, and that one song, "Senorita," came out. I think it was called. Oh no, "Love Me Like You Do" or something like that. "Like You Do," I think it was called. But something about the sound, and I was like, "Man, this sounds really good." Now, I've always been a fan of hip hop. I've always been a fan of rap, and I couldn't quite figure out what was. I was like, "I, it's a good song." I, I'm not gonna lie. I don't like Justin Timberlake. I don't like NSYNC. But damn, this song is catchy. And then the next song comes out, and I'm like, "What the hell?" And it was because of the Neptunes. It was uh, Pharrell Williams. He was the producer of that. And the dude can make music. So, uh, and that's why I bring it up because ever since then, dude, I, I'm still a fan of Justin Timberlake. That dude can do no wrong. I mean, <laughs> I converted you. I, it's just, he can't. Um, but yeah, those were, I think, the standouts, standout albums for me for 2002. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the toys that were around then. Uh, were you ever into Yu Gi Oh? No. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, I think that might've come out a little later. So I would have been the the perfect target age for Pokemon, but like that wasn't allowed. That's just, you couldn't, you couldn't don't get at that, which probably saved me a lot of money as a child, I suppose, and teenager potentially at various points, but no. Okay. So yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh cards came out in 2002 and obviously like they, I think they became the competitors to Pokemon cards, right? Yeah, trying well, to. Yeah, although now Pokemon's still the leader, but I think they 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 put up a good fight because the TV show. I mean, they launched a pretty good, uh, pretty good campaign uh, to to be a formidable formidable opponent to Pokemon. Thank, thanks to Cartoon Network, probably at this point, if it was on, like I wasn't gonna like the the TV was my companion to whatever I was doing on the computer. I had the computer in front of me and the TV off to one side in my room. Um, of shared room with my brother, admittedly, but uh, I, I tended to be able to uh, see what I wanted late at night. I, I did watch. I've seen Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I never followed the story. I have no idea what's going on, but I know enough to follow the memes nowadays. I uh, I was never a fan of any any of the Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh. So, quick 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 little side note. I know exactly when. Pokemon was released into the United States only because that Friday, Saturday, I want to say Saturday, Sunday, maybe I shipped out to boot camp and I watched a whole week of Pokemon the week it came out <laughs> eight in the morning, UPN channel 13, Los Angeles. I was like, what is this Pokemon? So for a whole week I watched, I was like, oh, interesting. And then I left for boot camp, never looked back. But I remember 
I went to boot camp October 4th. So I know it came out in October 1998. <laughs> for, for one glorious week. For one glorious week. I was like, oh. And, I, and, and that's the thing. Look, I remember Pikachu. I remember Ash. I remember that there were some uh, badges and things like that. But outside of that, not nothing else. Not what it's become now. I mean, Jesus. No. But yeah, so just, you know, quick little quick little story on uh, uh, on my experience with that type of uh, phenomenon, right? Uh, this, uh, that's basically what it's, it's a called. It's a phenomenon, yeah. yeah. I think it qualifies. I had a friend who was like, I had several who at various points like had cards and were into the whatever. And, and I just, you know, I was always fascinated by the card collecting thing. I never got into any of it. Um, I had one friend who had like stacks upon stacks of the Star Wars trading card game. And uh, that was probably, of course, the most interesting to me, being the fan that I already was. But I still, I still managed to avoid spending all my money on cards. Yeah, that's a good job that your mom did on that one, actually. Uh, and then Final Fantasy XI comes out in uh, 2002. So my experience with Final Fantasy was limited thanks to its um, console-specific nature. And my PC gaming nature, but I was very aware of that throughout. Like I'd seen, I'd, I'd seen posters and ads and trailers for Final Fantasy games my entire childhood and life up to that point. I'm sure mm-hmm. because uh, they had those those iconic anime characters on the posters. And you always saw those girls, the three girls, and sometimes some random dude with a surfboard sized sword, or other, or, or or another one with a bad haircut. Yes, the bad haircut and the giant swords. Those all sound very very familiar to me. But I never, I never, never got them. into it, though. Never got into it. I probably would have. Like, that's another one. Like, that's another thing where um, that and, like, uh, Metal Gear, like, the series. Like, I probably would have played the heck out of both of those. But they were limited to consoles at the time I was the target audience. And then by the time they got ported over later, it's kind of a nostalgia thing or whatever. I just didn't have the connection that other people had to them. Like, I got friends that go back and play them on computer. Sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, Final Fantasy or whatever. And I'm just like... It's interesting, but like I, I don't have that same, um, I don't have that same kind of feeling about it. Yeah, never got into it, still haven't, and I don't. I think it's too late for me. Okay, so with that, we can uh, we can close it off with some of that celebrity gossip that's going on in 2002. So Michael Jackson has his second baby in 2002. Amid everything else, I think this was Blanket or Prince Two, one of those. Many, many names. Uh, Renee Zellweger and Jack White are a couple. That was a thing. Yeah. Interesting. And then I think the first uh, celebrity reality couples, Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson, uh, were a thing, and they had a TV show and things like that. So um, that was that was a thing that was happening in 2002. Yeah, man. Whatever happened, Jessica Simpson was all over for a while. She was. Did she do music too? She was a musician, if I recall. And then she beca- she because that's that, when she got into movies. Well, they were both very popular in music. Nick Lachey with his group and her with her solo career. And then the TV show, that reality TV show, because it was reality and obviously because of the editing, it showed her to be very ditzy and yeah, like, right. Way that sells. Yeah, his career I think pretty much halted there. And I think her career started into movies because I remember she was like Daisy Duke in the Dukes of Hazard, right? Yeah, I remember her being in a bunch of movies for a while. Yeah, yeah. So this would have been the launch of all of that, that popularity ah, of television. Okay. But yeah, 
that uh, that pretty much closes off our 2002. Uh, any uh, final thoughts on 2002, Gabe? Before we move on, we do make a drastic change on our next uh, the next year. Oh, a tease. All right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, and I think it'll continue to be interesting to put things. I have a, obviously, like, the way memory works, right? Like, you don't necessarily, unless there's a clear reason to timestamp something, like everybody remembers what they were doing, you know, when JFK, you know, and so then you could timestamp whatever activity that was. I have associations and know a lot of this stuff, and I know kind of about where it is, but some of it's kind of surprising for where it is, you know? Yeah, um, no, I agree. Heck, I opened my browser today on my computer and I saw it's it's Google's 23rd birthday. Oh wow, 23. And I'm just like, oh man, I didn't get that on my browser. Uh, but I'm a Chrome guy, so. Homepage. All right, so thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week, everybody.